We're continuing in the study of Proverbs this morning. And uh, I think the, the question that I would start with is basically, how important are your words? I mean, do you think about the things that you say? Do you, you speak cautiously, if you will, uh, guardedly? Uh, are you more like I am where I tend to put my foot in my mouth and then realize I've, I've said something that I shouldn't have? Uh, the question is just basically, how important are your words? Uh, scripture has much to say about what we talk about, what we say, the importance of our words. Proverbs is full of thoughts about our speech and, and how we, we talk to each other. And... One of the uh, several that I will share with you this morning, but just a, a passage out of uh, Proverbs chapter 26, uh, just uh, again cautionary and, and telling us, you know, to re- think about what we we think think about how important our words are. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, you look at that, and I don't know about you, but I, I, the first thing that came to my mind was one, one passing dog that actually nipped me uh, when I was a kid. And, and uh, I, I'm thinking about that dog was the first thing that appeared to me in my mind when I read that, of trying to grab it by its ears, and I, I have no desire to do that. Uh, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. And I, you know, I, I think of growing up how kids, we, we, we do something, you know, unkind, not nice to our brother, our sister, or cousins, or something, and then we turn around and say, oh, I was only joking. But get that idea is, you know, we can be very mean with our jests at times. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling cease. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. In other words, we can, we're guilty of in, in our meddlesome and in our unthinking, the way we use our words, actually starting fires and, and kindling them. The words of a whisperer are like uh, delicious morsels. Now, the idea of a whisperer here is a gossip, but not one who's sharing it openly. Just can't wait to pass it on. Uh, think about, you know, it, I, I'm never quite sure what motivates that other than I know something you don't, you know, and I'm the first to tell you, and, but you whisper it. Why? Well, because it's not something you want to have anybody else know that you've said, or you just, it's, it's the way you pass things on. The idea is a gossip here, and, and it's like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. They enjoy it. They, they get a great joy out of passing on the whispers, the gossip. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disgusts himself with, uh, uh, disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. In other words, there's the people that will just simply use words uh, to appear to be gracious, to appear to be nice. But as you look at that and you listen to it, be careful. Don't, don't jump on board too fast. For there are, and, and then he says, there are seven abominations in his heart. 
Though his hatred is covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruins. So here's a whole bunch of scriptures right here dealing about the negative side of, of talk and, and, and speaking. And, you know, we look at this and we say, where's the wisdom here? Well, the wisdom here is pointing out of just the world is, is basically a fallen place. And we tend to speak, exaggerate, and extend ourselves in such a way that what we hear and talk about is not really accurate. And we've come to a point in our culture, and it's always really been this way, where we're prone to accept it. I've always been amazed when there is a person who actually is mean-spirited, who is able to get the ear of a group of people and turn things upside down. Over and over and over again. Proverbs says to beware of that. Look out for that. Be attentive to what's going on around you. And so the question is, is how do we deal with this? Well, it's not so much to battle that as much as to look at yourself first. How Are you one of these people who carries this on or allows it to happen? You, you have a, the ability to stop some stuff in its tracks. I know that I've had situations where I've had someone come to me and say, oh, you know, I need to talk to you about something. Okay, and we'll make the appointment. I've got to talk to you about so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I can tell that it's just a venting. And I said, you know, I'll reach for the phone and they'll say, what are you doing? Well, I said, well, I'm going to call up Joseph and, and ask him to come down here. We'll get this solved. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I want to do. You know, some people just, you know, all they want to do is to, is to say something about people and, and they're not interested in being at peace. In fact, they enjoy the turmoil. So, as we look at, at, at some of the things I want to share this morning, uh, hopefully we can re- look at this and say, this is the way we should think about this. Uh, a few specifics, again, for Proverbs. Uh, one proverb, uh, I took this, uh, the, the thoughts that come with this, out of Wisdom Principles on Hearing and Speaking. It was an article I read. Um, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. That's a powerful statement. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, you can either really lift someone up or you can really put someone down just by the words you say. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, here's the the description of this that comes with it. The Apostle James wrote, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Notice that the lack of of self-control in speech could be a mark of worthless religion. To bridle the tongue is to have first bridle the heart. And I thought that was interesting because where did we start in, in Proverbs? is our relationship with the Lord. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of understanding, the beginning of knowledge. Okay, so keep that in your mind. To bridle, to, to, to bridle the tongue is to first bridle the heart. What does Jesus say in reference to the heart? 
out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew chapter 12. The Scriptures teach us that the tongue's speech is the reflection of the heart. And this proverb teaches that the power of the tongue is that of life and death. It can build, it can build up or break down whichever way one uh, uses one's tongue. For life or death, you will reap what you sow, you will eat its fruits, life or death. You realize that Scripture tells us we will be judged for every word that comes out of our mouth. And that's written, I believe, in the context of understanding as believers even. We're going to be held accountable for the words that we've said and how we use them. Did we build people up? Did we encourage? We'll look at that a little bit more in just a minute. Another proverb out of chapter 12 of Proverbs, verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What an effect the tongue, and then he added an interesting side note here, or the keyboard. Now, it shows you I'm still weak as my computer savviness goes, and the first thing I thought of was a piano keyboard. You know, obviously you know what he's referring to is the what you email, text, and, and all this other stuff. So he, he wanted to, to put that. He says, what an effect the tongue or the keyboard can have on, a, on, on the reputation of brethren. To lie, gossip, form opinions based on half-truths is like a thrust of a sword bringing injury and fear. Think of that. Your words can bring injury and fear, almost as if somebody pierced you with a sword. How many times have you heard in the last, say maybe just ten years, the last decade, on the news of people who have been so wounded, just stuff over the internet that has been said about them, that they've committed suicide? How tragic when you think about it. The Christian tongue ought to heal even when it has hard, when it has hard and difficult news to bring, it ought always to heal. Such was the manner of our Lord. So, as we speak, maybe it should be something that's in our prayers. Lord, cause me to have words that will bring peace to people today. Give me words that will bring healing to people today. And words that will lift up people today. A couple of more dealing, and this with the idea of restraint in speech. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. That's Proverbs 17, verse 27. Restraint in speech, both in, in content and manner, is a mark of a Christian. Catch that? A mark of a Christian is one who knows how to restrain his speech. Basically, what that means is, think before you speak. How we say something can be as beneficial or harmful as what... How we say something can be as beneficial or harmful as what we say. The unrestrained man in either content or manner of speech is an example of one without knowledge and understanding. Again, if you are without knowledge and understanding, according to Proverbs you are outside of the fear of the Lord 
and being in awe of who He is as, as God. Okay? As we meet and hear people who exhibit these characteristics, we ought to treat their, their report with great discretion. When we hear things negative about situations, don't just pick up and run with it, in other words. Be restrained about passing it on. Maybe even investigate it and find out if there's any truth to what you've just heard. Don't be guilty of passing on something and then finding out later that it's, it was a half-truth or not true at all. And one more here in this, this area. It says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When it says he takes no pleasure in understanding, that means the idea of, of tied to knowledge and wisdom. He takes no pleasure in being knowing what's really going on in, in, in truth and wisdom and, and, and what God would do about something, but he's only, express, he's only interested in expressing his opinion. And, and what catches me is that, is that phrase, and I, and I find myself even guilty of this. When you're talking with somebody and all of a sudden they say a particular word and it triggers and all of a sudden your mind is off over here. Okay? And you've missed everything that they've said. And when you come back into the conversation, you're, you're really off-center for the conversation because you've missed what they said. We, we need to be listeners as well as ones who speak. And so, part of speaking, and Proverbs and several other places points this out, part of speaking and, and, and using words is also being a good listener. Are you really hearing what someone says? I always think of what my dad taught me. Um, he was a person involved in communicating in, in a public format. And, and he said that, that there's, there, in, in a conversation, there's what you think you said, from the other side, it's what you think you heard. <laughs> and from the third point of view is what actually was said. In other words, I'll say something and I think I've said it well and you'll hear it differently. And the third person over here would say, well, this is what you actually said. And, and, and so you have now three opinions about what was said. So our words need to be chosen. We need to think about it. So I put down here in my thoughts, where do I look for wisdom and understanding in our speech? And I'm, there was one more from this article. The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. Let us never forget that the wise, knowledge wor- uh, the wise, knowledgeable words are of the Lord. That which is unwise has no point or origin in or stamp of approval of God. Any word no matter how small or apparently trivial, if it's not a word of the wise, does not come from God. You know, it's, people are saying, well, you're making something really cut and dry here. It's either we're speaking godly words or we're speaking worldly words. Yep, that's what it boils down to. What's the attitude in your heart? Where do we find the Lord's wisdom? His knowledge is understanding in the Scriptures. Possibly the most well-known passage uh, and, and that, that talks about the, the, the tongue we find in the, the book of James, chapter 3. Um, I'll just look at the, the, the starting with verse 1, chapter 3. 
Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That alone makes me want to sit down. But we should think about that. Every one of us in here is called to teach at some point. If you've got children, you're a teacher, you're going to be held accountable in a strict sort of way. The Scripture says certain things. In fact, we have a a, a message coming up on that uh, in a couple of weeks about the, the idea of our children as reference to Proverbs and, and talking about that. We who teach are held with stricter, uh, you know, with greater strictness, but all of us are called to teach in some way, in some area, even in our peer relationships. So, this is not just for teachers, as, as what he's writing here. It really picks up in verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they, they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the, the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great is a forest is set how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. As you put this together, the, the it's an interesting picture that's coming forth here. Uh you know, James talks about spiritual maturity. He, he talks about it through suffering. He talks about it uh, how we respond to, to, to God's Word. And, and then he shows it by how we are to, you know, how we use or evidence the, the, the God's Word in us. And, and uh, in chapter 3, that's part of what we're, gonna look, we're looking at here. Uh, we all stumble. And then he says something that's just amusing to me. And if anyone does not stumble, he's a perfect man. Now, does such a thing exist? Only in one context. And he wasn't referring to the Christ here. Okay. A person who is self-proclaimed perfect is really what's being looked at here. And And... You know, he's, he's able to, to guide through and, and direct his own destiny, his own body. And it says, able to bridle his whole body. I'm able to, to make every step perfect. I'm able to do everything the way I need to do it to be successful and, and, and in every way uh, a godly person. By the way, this seemed to be the attitude of many of the Pharisees at the time of Christ. And we see the things that Jesus said about that. So, we do understand though, there is a need to direct the path. And so, he puts a, 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 a point here. We do bridle horses. We put a bit in their mouth and, and it controls their whole body simply by moving the rein one direction or another or loosening it or holding it back tight or wiggling it in a certain way, uh, you know, it steers where the horse goes. 
And you think about the size, and what he, what he wants you to see here, James is going for, is the size of a horse versus the bit in its mouth. You know, I, I was trying to look, you know, a bit is, is what, maybe, yeah, it could be this big, I suppose, you know, when it's got the hinge parts on it and everything. That's it. That's what's steering the horse. Okay? The whole body goes the direction that the bit drives it for. And then he says, look at ships, how big they are. Huge ships is what he was talking about. And of course, they're nothing like what we have today. But again, he's saying, what guides them? What directs them? The rudder. How small, and this is a comparison, how small is the rudder in comparison to the bulk of the ship? And yet, it guides it. His whole point really is to get to the point that the tongue is extremely small part of the body. But it directs the path of the body. It's the guide. It directs the path of the body. As the bit guides the horse, as the rudder drives the ship, so the tongue drives the person. Then he uses this interesting picture. But in a reality, you know, uh, the, he, he's saying, uh, well, let's just look again back at, at, at verse 5. So all the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He's calling the tongue a small fire. And we can start what? A forest fire. It only takes that little spark. You know, we, we can cause, with rumors, with half-truths, we can destroy myriads of things in, in lives. You can destroy families, extended families, with a half-truth or a lie. And so what seems to be, just from my point of view, just where I am, it's a small fire, it can destroy so much. Coming back to how is it? How important is what you say, what you repeat, what you pass on? How important is it? Goes on in verse six. Uh, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire, the entire course of setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. If our tongue is out of control, if we're not in submission, in other words, if we don't come back to this point where the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge and understanding is the fear of the Lord, if we don't come back to that position and have a relationship with the Lord, our tongue sets is 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 prone to set things on fire rather than to to build up or and, and encourage and, and do great things good things it tends to do bad things when we rest in our own strength and our own wisdom we're incapable of doing the things that God wants us to do and so that's just a, that's the idea uh, set on, on fire and it's just set on fire by hell and I thought what a powerful description who wants to think of in the reference 
whenever you, you talk or anything, you're thinking, uh, oh, I'm not saying something that's hellish, you know, I'm, you know, uh, setting you know on fire, bringing someone to, to ruin, all this type of stuff. But the idea of set on, on fire here was really a picture of the garbage refuse outside of Jerusalem, and which burned continuously. Gienna is the is the word that's used here for it, and and it's not Sheol, it's Gienna. And the idea is 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 the ugliness of burn. You want to tie this to this? The ugliness and the stench of burning trash. That's how, and, and who receives this this way? Well, it can impact other people. But I started to realize, this is, you know, God talks about our relationship with us and when we're doing things right, is it sweet aroma? When I'm doing it wrong, it smells like the burning trash outside of Jerusalem. Again, how important is what it, I say and, and and the way I think and how my heart harbors things. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body. Uh, and 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 again, it says setting on fire the entire course of life. It impacts our future, and it can do so in such a way that it permanently affects our future, the way we talk, the way we do things even in our youth, can impact the way our heart and the way we think and the things we do clear into our future. It says in verse 7, every, uh, uh, for every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Now, when it says tamed here, it means to be able to bring into control or subdue. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can train it, i.e. like you're training it to do tricks or something like that. This idea of being in control, conquer, or to be able to defeat or to overwhelm. And you think of all the creatures of the earth, man has been able to figure out a way to bring it to yield to them in such a way as to, you know, whether it's hunting whales or, or whatever, we, we can... Control the environment that we're in to that degree. And so, beasts, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, man is able to tame and to control, to bring under control, to subdue or to conquer. But look what he says in, 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 in verse uh, 8. It, it, he says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. By this time, I'm, you, know, it, it, you start to feel like, you're defeated. You know, you know, no human being can tame the tongue. What am I to do? You just told me that all this stuff is like a fire and does all this kind of meanness and sadness and, and, and grief and Proverbs, you know, all these kinds of things that it can do. And now you're telling me there's nothing I can do about it. Well, that's not really what it says. Carefully, no human being, and it's interesting to use that full phrase, the idea. No human being can tame the tongue. Who can? Come back to chapter 1, verse ten and, and uh, 7 and 9, 10 of, of Proverbs. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. 
the idea of coming into a relationship with God. That's where control of the tongue is gained. I thought this idea of full of deadly poison, the idea is also venom. And all I could think of was a snake bite. And, and uh, I've never been bitten by a snake. Uh, I've, I've come close a couple of times, but I've never been bitten by a snake. But I have been bitten by a black will. And I know what the venom does there. It causes a, a, a very nasty, hard ball type of infection. And, and it's, and it's uh, you know, this idea of venom is, is, is it, it crushes, it smothers, it constricts. Uh, and, 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 you know, if you've got that into your bloodstream, the idea is, is ultimately is to paralyze you. And so we're, our tongue is, is full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour uh, forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine uh, produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. No human being can tame or control the tongue. Wisdom is from above. We're talking about all of this, and and then we look at this and we say, you know, the natural thing is is something to bless God and curse man at the same time out of the same mouth. By the way, he's not saying that 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 doesn't happen. What he's saying is that that's not right. That's not according to the plan. How can you praise God in this breath and the next breath curse? I was uh, when I started going to church. My uh, brother-in-law told me, he "says You don't want to go to that church." And he pointed out why, in reference to a particular person who was in leadership there, how Sunday morning he praised the Lord, and Monday he cut, you know, he, he paid three-quarter wages on, on on prevailing wage jobs, you know, and did other things like that that were illegal and and. And he was dishonest in his business dealings. And I thought that was interesting that, you know, that this was the, uh, the observation. The witness to my, my brother-in-law was this. And, of course, it starts to make you wonder now, looking back, what has my witness been? Have I ever de- steered someone away from the church by just words that I might say, especially coming from, a, you know, from the pastor point of view, I heard Pastor Bob say, you know, or whatever. So, no human being can control the tongue. Then what do we do? Wisdom comes from above. Therefore, we need to look at this from a biblical point of view as to how to gain control. And I, I was trying to figure out, and there's so many places to go. Uh, I chose to go to... Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting with the 25th verse. Well, before I I, I start there, I'm going to back up even further. Uh, As as Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he, he says in verse 20 that, you know, you, hadn't, you didn't learn Christ this way. What he's referring to is, is 
a way certain people may be acting in the church at that particular time. He says, you didn't learn Christ this way. So the idea, first off, that I wanted to grab a hold of was, is that we are to learn Christ. How does Christ think? How does Christ talk? How does Christ, you know, what would he say about these things? And it comes down to that, that like, what would Jesus do movement. Uh, but I don't find that, a, some people found that really, you know, troublesome and offensive, but I found it, you know, uh, kind of important. You know, what would Jesus do in this situation? So that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? So here's this assumption. Here's where we start. How do you want to control, uh, get a gain control of the tongue? It's such a, 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 a fire starter if it's not under control. So how do we gain control? Okay, it starts with Jesus. And so he says, if you've been taught in Jesus, in, in the truth of Jesus, and, and I'm assuming that you have had these things, then verse 22, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The word corrupt here, by the way, is like rancid rotting. And as I was thinking about that word, I, I, I thought of different situations in my life where I've actually come across rancid, rotting things. But, you know, and, and, and when you use the word rancid, normally you think of something that has been alive and now is dead, uh, you know, and, and decaying. And I, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, vegetables, it can be anything. Have you ever gone to pick up a, a, an orange and on the top it's just fine and you reach it underneath and your hand just goes into it and, it and it's just gooey? That's this word corrupt, okay? It's, it's rancid, it's, it's decaying, it's dead, it's not worth anything. Uh, you know, put off your old self which was corrupt. We were rancid, decaying, dying. Uh, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. To put on the new self. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that we first have to understand that this cannot be done without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But Jesus told us in John 14 that He was going to give us the Holy Spirit that would come into us that would be our source of power to live for Him. And so, believers, we put on the new self. We're not doing that even in our own strength. And if you put all Ephesians together, you'll, you'll, you'd get that too. You know, it's not something you do in your own strength. It's not something where I can, in my flesh, decide, oh, I'm going to put on a new self. It's like, like trying to, to set your... Uh, New Year's resolutions and do it in your flesh, <laughs> uh, you know, and 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 do it something that's way out and almost impossible to think of type of thing. It is impossible for us to do this without the Holy Spirit, without the salvation, without Christ in us. And that's why he prefaced this with the fact that you know this is how you learned Christ. You've got to have Christ in here. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. 
For we are members one another. Now, somebody can turn around and say, oh, well, I'm just speaking the truth. We've just talked about how it needs to be tempered, though, with what? A sense of, of, of gentleness. You're not wanting to set something on fire. You know, uh, you're, you're wanting to, to be gentle and kind. And you'll see that here more clearly. We are members of one another. Think about it. If we're members of one another, why would you want to send, 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 set one of the others in your family on fire? If we're members of one another, it means it's, it's, it's going to burn us too. Uh, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor during on, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice what has happened. There's a transition. The thief was this type of person, and now because of Christ in him, he is a person who not only is not stealing anymore, but he is laboring with the intent to do what? Instead of steal from people, to share with people. It's an amazing picture. Let no corrupting, and again, that idea of corrupting is the same word of corrupt that we had before. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good. Now, here comes the real instruction here for us today. Only as such is good for building up as the occasion, as fits the occasion. Uh, in other words, again, you've thought out the words according to the need at hand in order to encourage to build up. That it may give grace to those who hear. And the idea of grace is peace, kindness, gentleness. You know, it's tied all to that thought. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. The idea of, 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 of with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, is that we don't allow bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice to be a part of our lives. When we sense it, we're supposed to turn away and, and, and actually stop, if you will, and, and say, Lord, assist me, come to me, direct me. And it's not. And, and again, since the mouth is, is a reflection of what the, comes from the heart and the tongue speaks it, the reality is, 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 Lord, what? Create in me a clean heart. We end up with Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. So that my thoughts will be pure and my tongue will be building up and lifting up instead of setting fires and tearing down. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we ignore the things of God and ignore His Word and go off in our own strength. Think of all that God has gone through to bring the Holy Spirit to us. The cross. It's no small thing. We should have a great sense of joy that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I have to confess that it's not always joy when the Holy Spirit shows me my weaknesses, my shortcomings. But the reality is 
That's, you know, as, as he wants to change my life. He wants me to put off the old stuff and put on Christ. You know, I grieve the Holy Spirit. Instead, put away these things. Don't participate in it. And don't be a person who is known to participate in the gossip, in, the, in bitterness, in, in, in anger, uh, in, in slander, in malice. Instead, verse 32 says, be kind. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. How, how did Christ forgive you? Again, we come to the cross. He, you know, but, but, and, and I'll look at something in just a second with that. But, but the idea of, of, of being forgiven, we are to forgive the way we have been forgiven. We are to live a life of desiring to extend grace, mercy, kindness, even if bitterness and malice and judgment and anger are put towards us, we are still called to be the opposite. It does not become an excuse to, to now let loose and become bitter and anger and slanderous and, 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 and wrathful also. By the way, when we actually conduct ourselves this way, that becomes the testimony that the world sees. And that's when they ask, like what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, you know, why are you the way you are? And Peter says, be prepared to give an answer of what, you know, who, who you are in Christ. Be prepared to share your testimony of what Christ has done in you. Not just say, oh, well, I'm just a good guy. But except for, for Christ in me, I couldn't. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then look just quickly, we'll close with these thoughts here. Therefore, be imitators of God. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ gave Himself up for us, a sacrifice for us. It takes us right to the cross and what He has done for us. How important, how, how much does it matter according to Scripture of, of how we talk? Christ wants us to be Christ-like, if you will. He wants us to be looking at the way God would have worked through us instead of us working in our own strength. And so Christ died for us that we would have the Holy Spirit, that we would be saved, that we could know Him and draw close to Him. And instead of having our own words working through us, to have His words working through us. To have His words working through our heart, our mind, our soul, uh, and, and, and our tongue. Imitators of God. How? Walk in the love that Christ demonstrated for us the willingness to give and even sacrifice your life for another. As we share in communion today, the idea is is that we aren't perfect. 
we need, are reminded continually that we are still dealing with the fallen flesh. We are still struggling with this battle. And sometimes we'll find ourselves saying, as Paul did in, in Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am, what in the world, you know, how is this going to get resolved? But through who? Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we come into communion, we come with thanksgiving. We come with repentance. We come with the idea that the Lord changed my heart. Clean, me, clean my heart. Create in me a new heart. That I might serve You this week, this day, this hour, in the sense of worship and praise and in the sense of ministering one to another so that I am known as one person who builds up and I have the reputation. I was thinking, what came to my mind was as I was looking at this last night was epitaph. Now, a lot of people don't like to think about what might be said on your tombstone, but, but the idea of an epitaph is, is different things. And, and I have been in cemeteries and seen interesting things said about a person. And it doesn't, doesn't say born and died, but there's a whole statement about that person. And you look at it and you see what they said. And it was a, a beloved father and, 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 and brother and, and different types of things that refer to that person. You know, what does my epitaph say? It would be great. To, you know, one thing that my epitaph would say was, he was known for building people up. Wouldn't that be a great epitaph? He was known for building people up. That's what really all, all of this comes down to. All that the Proverbs is talking about, James is talking about, Paul is talking about in Ephesians is the words that we say, are they going to lift up or tear down? It's really that simple. If you're going through communion this morning, pray for words that come that will lift up people around you. Day to day, hour by hour, week by week, month by month, year by year. I ask the ushers to come and pass the communion